Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, Goldmine readers and our listeners. Welcome to the first podcast of November. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and welcome to the Goldmine Magazine podcast. This this podcast will be talking to Garrett Mankiewicz. Garrett is a longtime British music photographer. Uh, he was around a lot in the early to late 60s photographing bands like the rolling stones for instance between the buttons album you might have recognized uh, garrett's work but uh, we're going to be talking about uh, mr mankiewicz relationship with Jimi hendrix and jimmy is our cover artist for november which you could pick up that issue it's out right now on newsstands barnes and noble books a million and select record stores and his print, uh, that is Mr. Mankiewicz's print, is on the cover, with Jimmy on the cover. And you might remember the iconic shot in black and white of Jimmy wearing a military, it's like a military jacket of sorts that he bought on Carnaby Street. Anyway, in the 60s, in the late 60s, when uh, Jimmy first came to the UK, um Garrett befriended him and he got Jimmy's trust and they took some great photographs and you'll probably recognize some of them and also he's going to tell us some of the stories behind those photographs and how uh tell us a little bit about Jimmy himself during those days um we're also going to be talking to Dane Urbach He started a a vinyl subscription service called Table Turned. Uh, This subscription service is mostly uh, centering on indie label vinyl. And it it sorts by genre. You'll you'll find that interesting. But I know just the fact that uh, from our reader surveys that um, readers do like um, indie music, indie label music, indie rock music. Um, so they probably f- will find this interesting. Um, indie, um, I mean, vinyl subscription services have become pretty popular, but this one tries to focus on getting your subscription by genre and picking that genre for a year. Um, very interesting. But we'll get to that. We'll get to talking to Garrett Mankiewicz after this message. <laughs> 
Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Hello? Mr. Mankiewicz, how are you? Pat, my goodness, you're a punctual person. <laughs> I try to be. I try to be. I'm not like the other... I'm not like a rock star. You are on the dot. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So how are you? Good? I'm good, thanks. Very well, thank you. Uh, having, yeah, had a good year so far, and now in that sort of final couple of months which just disappear so quickly yes i I know i know the holidays are upon us it's uh it's amazing because i can remember putting together the january issue and now here we are approaching december i know it's ridiculous how are you pat good good the the cover came out fantastic um i think you're going to be very pleased you could go, Good, I look forward to seeing it. You could see a sample of it on uh, goldminemag.com, and I'm going to send you um, a JPEG of it. Thank you, I'd like that. And uh, I, it's, it's, a wonderful, it's, it's a wonderful image of what uh, um, you and, I'm trying to think of the um, designer's name. Costa. Yes, uh, what you put together for this print. But I want to ask you... Um, Let's talk. Let's go back to uh, 1967, uh, if you don't mind. <laughs> Not at all. Um, you were you were basically pretty. You were in with Hendrix, weren't you? Um, was it you? You were also in with the Stones, and of course that was because of their man, manager Andrew. And I think what were you introduced to Hendrix that way? I was introduced to Hendrix by his manager, Chaz Chandler. Got you, because Chaz was obviously upon the scene, and you probably had taken photographs of Chaz yourself, correct? As a matter of fact, I never photographed the animals, but I'd become uh, friendly with Chaz because he was getting involved uh, in management, and he was getting involved with some managers for whom I did a lot of work, and I think I met him like that. And that's how he came to ask me to photograph Jimmy, because he'd known of my work with other artists that uh, his management colleagues had been involved with. Right. And now, at the time, you were taking a lot of photos of the Rolling Stones, and of course... We featured you on our in our March issue uh, for the iconic uh, Stones cover. Now, at that time, the Stones were going through a transition, and uh, that's that's when uh, Andrew was leaving, and uh, you went with Andrew, correct? Yes, I, I mean, I I didn't, I don't think I had an, I don't want to create, I never want to create the impression that I had any option. I right. I, I wasn't. It wasn't a question of would I stay with the Stones or would I go with Andrew. The Stones had made it quite clear that they were moving on from Andrew, and that included moving on from me. They'd already introduced Michael Cooper into the mix, and I knew my days were numbered. 
So um, my loyalty at that moment was to Andrew and not to the Stones. As far as I was concerned, I was was somewhat alienated from the Stones by that time, and the best had been and gone for me. Well, like you said in our interview back then, after Between the Buttons, it seemed like, um, you know, it was like, Kind of like a mutual parting creativity, you know, and your creative juices were moving elsewhere. So um, I think it was just natural. Yes, um, I, I think it was natural as well. And that's, it felt natural, but it felt at the same time quite harsh because yeah. of the nature of their bust up with Andrew. Yeah. Not really their bust up with me, but their bust up with Andrew, right. which wasn't pretty to witness. Right. Um, but it, 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 looking back, it was completely logical and completely natural. Now, you, did you hit it off with Jimmy right away, getting back to Jimi well, Hendrix? No, he was such an easy man ah. to get along with. He was so charming and so sweet-natured at that moment in time. Yes. That, he, that, that in our initial introduction, Chaz introduced me briefly. We were at a club. Jimmy had been playing for the gathered British press and certain uh, well-established musicians of the time. And he just introduced me. Jimmy was extraordinarily polite and charming. And basically, we had a few words together. And I just said, I look forward to to seeing you in the studio and taking some pictures. And and he said, yeah, we shook hands and he moved on. Hmm. Do you remember the club? It was called the Bag of Nails. It was in on the fringes of Soho, uh, in a place called Kingley Street, which is parallel to Carnaby Street, uh, sort of sandwiched between uh, Regent Street and uh, Carnaby Street, right in Soho, right in swinging London, really. So Jimmy shows up uh, to your studio, and uh, you took the iconic photo I guess right away with the military jacket, right? That that is such an iconic photo. Most most of our yeah. readers will recognize it, and it was in Mason's yard. That's where your studio was, correct? Indeed, absolutely right next door to the Scotch of St James discotheque, which actually was where Chaz used to hang out there a lot. And Chaz took Jimmy to the Scotch of St James on the night that Jimmy landed in London. And he busked uh, with the in-house blues band. And, and so on the night he, he landed, he actually played, in a way, his first gig at the Scotch of St. James, which was next door to my studio. Not that I knew anything about it <laughs> at the moment, but, but that's apparently what happened. Had you been hearing a buzz about Jimi Hendrix at that point? Not, not when he arrived. There wasn't a buzz. Chaz flew him in, and then they started to uh, create the campaign and the buzz that, that came on pretty quickly. I mean, I think, he, I think he landed in sort of October, maybe late September, uh, early October. By the end of October, you know, he was pretty much launched. I can't tell you the actual chronology of putting the band together and playing his first gigs with the experience but it was it was pretty soon after he landed in london wow yeah, yeah that was a quick it was a quick rise and and a lot had to do with that him going to london that's for sure 
Well, I think it all had to do, really. I mean, yeah. I suppose one has to recognise the fact that he was playing brilliantly when he was at the Café Wah in, yeah. in New York. That's where everybody saw him and picked up on this extraordinary talent. And as Chaz told it, you know, I couldn't understand why nobody um, had, had picked up on Jimmy. And so yeah. he proposed to Jimmy that he come to London and that they launch his solo career in London. And I think Jimmy has said, you know, what did he have to lose? Nobody wanted to know about him in, in New York or in America. So he came to London with Chaz and then it all took off. Um, and within, what, three months or so of landing, uh, Hey Joe was heading up the charts. And I think at the time, America, with uh, the music industry, they were looking for easy, cut-and-paste music. Um, they were, British were more interested in innovative stuff. Uh, they were looking for stuff that was new, and that's, that's the reason why British rock back then was, I think, at its height, because they were coming out with such unique and innovative music, um, where America was, I think, a lot of the management was just trying to cut and paste stuff <laughs> i think that's probably right and i think they were probably still trying to catch up with the british invasion yes uh, and and i don't think they were you know i i mean i think that the social um and cultural circumstances of america at that point right at the at the end of 66 uh, was such that uh, an outrageous looking an extraordinarily gifted but clearly very progressive musician like Jimmy he was just not going to get recognised exactly where there was a scene in London exactly there was a scene in London and there was an enormous appreciation for black music generally yep. black American music and the, and the, the Stones had introduced and, and other bands in England oh, yeah. had introduced to the blues right have to introduce the blues quite uh, had brought over uh, black American acts were yeah. about to bring over Ike and Tina Turner for instance right. um, and I think London was absolutely just a, a, hotbed, a hotbed of energy and enthusiasm and openness which, which uh, Jimmy embraced and absolutely adored I mean I think he was at this moment in time late 66, early 67, I, I don't think the man could have been happier. Yes. And uh, it's funny because this shot I'm looking at, this iconic shot of him with the military jacket, he, that military jacket was, jacket was eventually taken from him, if, I, if I'm um, correct, from uh, uh, the police. <laughs> um, Is that right? I, I don't know I, that. According story. to his biography, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's kind of strange because he bought it in a shop and I think Carnaby Street. So, uh, well, actually, in a, a shop in um, Portobello Road called Lord Kitchener's Valet. Ah. And they sold ex-military, ex-police, ex-army clothes, and uh, it was all a bit of the. the, the everybody was. Uh, uh, you know, that was a bit of a trendy thing at that moment in time. And um, uh, Jimmy just uh, was introduced to that, and and he just took it, took to it, 
uh, like a duck to water. And yeah. of course, you know, the rest is history, really. Let me ask you a little bit about the, the technique um, with these shots. You switch from black and white, and then you use a blue gel, right? And then, which came out fantastic. Um, what was going on through your head? What were you thinking? Um, were you going to take just black and whites? Did you have... Do you did you always do both black and white in color? How was your uh, thinking back then, as far as creatively? Well, I tell you exactly, and it sounds naive now, um, but I I was really intent on taking Jimmy seriously as a musician. Right. I thought I thought I just sensed or felt that this extraordinarily charismatic man was a very serious musician. He was clearly serious about his work. He, he was clearly innovative and, and brilliant. And I wanted to photograph him in a, in a serious way. And I thought that that meant to shoot him in black and white. Mm. And I never shot any color at that session, although normally my process at that time would have been to shoot some color the bulk of the session would always be in black and white because the media demand was for black and white. But I, I would normally have covered everything off in color. I didn't do that with Jimmy. Color felt uh, poppy and lightweight. Mm. And I wanted to take serious portraits of him um, in a style that I felt was uh, a serious portraiture style, reminiscent perhaps of... Richard Avedon and Irving Penn, who were my major influences. Gotcha. And I was determined to treat him seriously and to, and to treat him with dignity and uh, honesty and authenticity. And, and those were my reasons for not shooting color. Gotcha. Um, now, what, can, how did you come up with the idea to turn uh, one of these photographs into a silkscreen print? Well, my colleague David Coster, who's a graphic designer and who I'd worked with very closely for many years, he created a silkscreen, an original silkscreen, for an Eric Clapton cover that he did. And, and that's what introduced him to the process. And he said to me, you know, we ought to do uh, a silkscreen together. And from that, we did a pair of Jimi Hendrix. We settled on Jimi Hendrix, and we did a pair of Jimi Hendrix silkscreens. And quite soon after we produced them, I got a call um, from Jimi Hendrix, the estate's management, gotcha. saying that they were creating an exhibition in America um, uh, and Europe that was an art exhibition based on images of Jimi Hendrix. And I said, well, hold on, let me stop you, because we have just done exactly that. We have just produced two art images based on my photography. And um, um, he, the, the, the manager at the time, um, what's his name, Alan Douglas, mm -hmm. came over to the studio, he was in London, and he came over to the studio, I think that afternoon or the next day, and we just we showed him the two pieces, and he just went mad for them. He thought they were fantastic. And that's how come one of the images became the cover mm. for the ultimate experience, the compilation that I think was put yeah. out 
crumbs. I can't remember the actual dates. Sometime in the 80s, I guess. Mm. Um, um, and then um, they asked us to repackage all the Jimmy albums, the official Jimmy albums, hmm. um, at that time in a similar style. Uh, and we did that. It caused a tremendous amount of um, um, controversy amongst um, Jimmy fans who felt that Alan Douglas and, and us were disrespecting the Jimmy's uh, legacy by putting the albums into new sleeves, but we um, we retained the old sleeves within the package. We just wanted to create a more contemporary image for Jimmy. And right. so this all came from David and I having the idea of creating this pair of silk screens. Well, it's 40 by 30, and uh, we it's on the cover of Goldmine's new issue, November, and I know, I'm looking at it now. And we it's it's wonderful, isn't it? And uh we also say um inside that you can you still have a hundred prints left and we tell the uh readers how they can uh collect take buy one of these so they can put it in their collection. Um which is fantastic. There's only a hundred left out of five hundred, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And um and uh, the, 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 yes, that's absolutely right. This particular shot that you've put on the cover, we called Purple Haze. Right. Um, and, the, and then there is a, the other image that we did at the same time, which was the cover of Ultimate Experience, which we called just Purple and Gold. That's actually virtually sold out. I think there are only two more prints left in the, in, in the edition, which is why one of the reasons why I was keen that you should use... Um, Purple haze is the right. cover because it is still available. You're right. It it, it definitely works. It pops. Um, I love the collage in the background. I believe that's the military jacket photo, right in the background. That's right. That's yep. the that's the image that was known as classic, and uh, that's the image on which the other silk screen in the series is based. Yep, and you can uh, for eighteen hundred dollars, you can own one. Um, <laughs> you can own one signed numbered by me exactly and uh our you know our readers are big collectors so uh you know they they collect everything from you know uh, ticket stubs to artwork so they there definitely be interest out there Good. Uh, now i wanted to say what was your last encounter with jimmy did you um did, did you take more photographs and then uh, did you see him again, or how how did the relationship go after the initial? I, I I did a second session with him, which was primarily to get up to date pictures of the of the band. Yep. Because Mitch and Noel had permed their hair after the first <laughs> session I did to look yeah. more like Jimmy. Exactly. And so it 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 made the uh, the first group pictures that I shot out of date very quickly. So uh, I, I did that shoot, um, the second shoot. Uh, I, I saw him at the Savile Theatre, which I think was a few weeks after that. And I bumped into him a couple of other times later in that year um, at a club called the Adlib Club, which is a, was a famous club in London, just off Leicester Square in, in the centre of London 
where I used to hang out a lot, was my favorite of all the clubs at the time, and he was there. And we'd have a drink, we'd have a brief chat, we'd look at the girls and talk about the music, and, 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 and that was it. It wasn't a intense friendship, but it right. was fun, and it was nice knowing him. And, and, and then after that, I, I guess he was just out of the country, was working all the time, and right. I never saw him again. Well, it is true what they say then. He was a gentleman. He was always supposed to be uh, very polite and nice um, when you met him. Always. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think it's uh, it's amazing how quickly it happened with him. It was, I mean, he's still a, a star, but his rising star in 67 was just, uh, when you look back at it, you must be like, that was something special. That was something very special. It was really special. It's and looking back, it's quite extraordinary that that within three years the, the guy was going to be dead. Yeah. And that that is just completely tragic. And looking back at the pictures and and talking with people like yourself, right? It becomes quite clear to me that this particular period, this short, brief moment at the beginning of his career, really, uh, his, certainly his career in London and his career as a solo artist, this was the most optimistic, positive time in, in Jimmy's life. Yeah. He knew that something was happening. He was being taken seriously. He was being listened to, appreciated, loved, and he was relishing it. And he loved he loved back. He he really loved music. He loved other people's music. He didn't see it as competing. He saw it as kind of like a an insider club, you know, like this uh, community. Uh, Absolutely, he was he, he he was he was an extraordinary man, and it was a great privilege to to have known him, and a wonderful uh, moment in my life and my career to have uh, been able to work with him, and of course, subsequently. You know, in the last 20 years or so, um, his pictures, uh, my pictures of him, have have given me an extraordinary uh, uplift to my career in this last couple of decades. Mm. Um, so I'm tremendously privileged, very lucky, and I, I'm grateful to Jimmy every day. Now I want lastly before we go um I want to ask you obviously you knew a lot of other musicians on the scene did they realize what was going on how special he was they must have right they must have been in awe <laughs> they were in awe they were in awe of of his technique of the music he played they were in awe of his charisma his image his look and his style he was an extraordinary person, this extraordinary man, suddenly in our midst at the end of 66. Um, it really did blow people's minds. And yeah. for musicians, for guitarists, some of the greatest uh, British guitarists of the day were not just mesmerized by the man's skill, uh, but they were blown away by his technique. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you, Garrett. And I hope that everyone goes to com and they can look at your art 
And you've got a nice photo gallery going at, immediately as you go to the site uh, of Jimmy and also Rolling Stones. Um, quite a few. Uh, Marianne Faithful, I see, is here. Um, yeah, it's a sort of introduction to all the galleries within the website. So yes. if, if there's somebody you like within that sort of opening uh, gallery display, you click on it and it takes you straight to the particular uh, um, gallery within within the site. There are several galleries and, and an awful lot of photographs. And uh, hopefully people will find something to enjoy, not just Jimmy, but hopefully other artists as well. And I look forward to some feedback and some response. Well, thank you for sharing your life experiences. That's always special to talk to you. Well, and... thanks, Pat. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for asking. Well, thank, well, thank you, Garrett. Um, that was Garrett Mankiewicz. And just talking about Jimi Hendrix, <clears throat> what a special person as well as musician he was. And we're going to now get on the phone. Um, and we're going to get on the phone with a new subscription service, a vinyl subscription service uh, created by Dan Erbach. And it's called Table-Turned. You could go to Table-Turned.com. And let's get Dane on the phone here. So, Dane, tell us a little bit about the Table Turned venture. When did you sure. start it? And we'll get to why in a second. But how long have you been in business now? Well, really, we kind of launched. Um, I mean, it's actually kind of funny. I think we launched exactly a year ago, um, probably, like, I think on November 1st. Um, we We didn't start shipping records at that point. We had just kind of opened our what we call our subscription window um, and at that point we just started with a two-month open window and um, and we shipped our first records on January 1st so we actually are a really new thing and um, even though we there haven't really been any bugs to work out or anything it still sort of feels like you know we are we're, we're um, still in the kind of um, we're reaching out to new labels every month, for example. We're kind of still in this new exploratory process, and uh, it's actually been really fun so far this year. Sure. Well, starting a um, business like this, especially if you're a music lover, is always fun, you know? Why, oh, yeah, totally. Why did you Why did you uh, start um, a vinyl subscription service? How long have, uh, in other words, did you feel the need that um, the other vinyl subscription services weren't covering and how do you compare it to those other existing fi uh, subscription services? Sure, yeah. So um, so I think the idea, so I run a really small boutique record label. Um, and so I know a little bit about what it takes to press records, to, you know, to master records the right way and what you're looking for with a good sounding record and stuff. Um, and you know I'm not a huge collector of vinyl, like, but I buy I buy my music on vinyl. Now, I don't I don't have like a listening room or anything like that. But right. you know I'm definitely a vinyl lover. So um, my my father-in-law actually he had called me. He loves he he loves pitching like um, business ideas to me on occasion, and he's like, you know, you really like vinyl. Have, would you ever consider doing a service like a like that mm. and I had written off the idea because a lot of labels have their own subscriptions and of course there's Vinyl Me Please and Vinyl and those other services and I'm like it's, this is well-worn territory and I, you know I don't really like the way um, 
I don't really like the way that um, vinyl and vinyl please do their thing anyway. Right. And that's when it kind of occurred to me, like, well, why don't you, what would a service look like that you would spend money on? Mm. And so that's kind of, that was the germ of the idea that kind of sprouted. Um, you know, I really, I have a lot of friends who subscribe to Vinyl Me Please, um, and a couple who have um, subscribed to Vinyl as well. And um, those services seem legit and awesome, just the way they are. Right. But the thing that I didn't like about them is that, like, you know, because I follow Vinyl Me Please and stuff pretty closely, and, you know, one month you'll have a record that seems like it's right in your wheelhouse. Mm. And then the next month, um, there'll be something from a, an entirely different wheelhouse. Right. And, uh, m you know, me personally, being a music lover, being a vinyl um, buyer, mm. but not necessarily a collector, mm. I was, I'm thinking, like, I don't really want to spend money on something that I don't, like, like that, that I know take. I won't really listen to. Right. I don't want just vinyl on the shelf for, for the sake of collecting it. So, gotcha. you know, I started, I started kicking around the idea of, like, what if you could pick your genre? Um, and from there, a, a lot of other big differences started popping up. Like, um, you know, I want I want to be more indie label centered, and I mm. want to work with labels. And um, instead of instead of like um, pressing our own records, for example, which is what Vinyl Me Please does, I kind of want you know to buy the records from the labels and throw some of the money back at them. And mm. um, and so that's part of the idea is the is to somehow kind of help everyone who's involved with the music with yes. the uh, with music culture the buyer gets a very reasonably priced record of the month club the um the record label gets more exposure and more sales and um and you know our our service gets to grow as well which is not you know it's not quite the same thing with um you know, that's not the quite the same mission statement to some of the other subscription services and, and that's fine you know, like they got their own thing going right um but in that way, I, I you know, I, I see them as less competition and just another, you know, option on the menu, you know? Sure. Now, basically, with, with the genre, you'll, you seems like you're expanding. Um, mm -hmm. But so far, you have two specific genres, right? Noise rock and Americana punk. Correct, yeah. And, and actually, we've done, I'm sorry to interrupt, but we've yeah. actually done... Um, two other rounds so we, we've had other genres in the past year as well but these will be the genres for 2018 is that how it works or yeah okay yeah so um starting january 1st we'll start shipping a year's worth of records for each of those genres yeah um but in you know but we'll start we'll, we'll probably open another round of options right. right on january 1st and so like in july the next round will ship too so we'll always kind of have four genres out there and and being shipped gotcha. um, and always have two more on deck you know what are the other two that you start so out? Our, our our kind of initial round we call round zero because right. it's kind <laughs> of a proof of concept right um we we focus more on the genres that are kind of in like <laughs> kind of my i would say expertise mm -hmm. um being pop punk and emo okay uh, and we, we definitely focused more on like the uh, 90s emo and more of like the revival kind of from that sound gotcha. and there are a lot of really cool labels that yeah um we're putting some cool stuff out and then so our second round we wanted to we wanted to stay in you know the indie rock realm without getting uh without staying too much in the punk realm 
So yeah. we went with um, grunge revival, which is what, we, is what we call it. It's definitely like more stuff inspired by grunge. And then post rock, which is, um, I don't want to call it a guilty pleasure, but maybe <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, I'm a punk guy, you know, like I, yeah. I was born and bred on like, you know, like skate punk in the 90s and stuff. Mm. And so to, you know, to sometimes just want to put on like a quiet instrumental, like piano kind of thing. Okay. <laughs> kind of, you lose your punk credibility a little bit, but you know, I, I, I love post-rock and this has been, um, like those two genres for me have been cool because I've been discovering a ton of music while I've been um, buying and shopping around. So, Right. And so I, there are two record companies that um, Relapse you started to working with, correct? Mm-hmm. And yep. the other one I can't think of now. Um, there's another there's one. one. Yeah, so the newest one we announced with the Americana um, package is Sabat Productions. Yes. And, um, yeah... Sorry, go ahead and ask your question. And, and then there's like relapse talk, for the noise rock. Sure. Um, that's pretty cool. I personally, I would go with the noise rock one for me. Um, <laughs> that's right, my absolutely. personal genre, kind of indie rock. Uh, I go from cl- everywhere from classic rock to indie rock usually, because a lot of indie rock. Let's face it whether it's it, it gets experimental but there was a lot of classic rock that was experimental like zappa mm-hmm. and, so Absolutely. you know um a lot of the indie rock is like classic rock Absolutely. you find a lot of americana bands that oh my god this song sounds like the eagles you know but they're not mm-hmm. commercial you know what I mean? so it's interesting um how do you find like your next round, like, how did you choose Americana Punk? Did you... And the next question I'm going to get to is the subscribers. You know how this could be subjective. So have you gotten mm-hmm. feedback from them? Like, I don't know if this would be Americana Punk, or I don't know if I, this would be Noise Rock. Have you gotten that yet? So, yeah, so to answer that second question first, um, when we started... Yep. I was expecting that, and ah, I have not received any of that that's feedback good. yet. That's good. Uh, on our frequently, you know, like I was doing a lot of brainstorming. I, uh, I picked like a, I, I came up with like a frequently asked questions thing, and I and I addressed that concern, um, like on our website. But you know, so far, all of our subscribers have been people who are, like, they're excited to to stretch a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I'll, a quick example of that would be like like our post-rock um, genre, mm. like there's going to be some, you know, like one of the bands that we put out there is just really minimal, really sparse kind of sounding band called Brave Young, where there's, I mean, it's really almost a lot of like droney kind of background stuff with like really simple piano. Right. But then there's been some other bands that have been like, like Do Make Say Think, where there's like tons of different instruments, like horns and like two different drummers and stuff like that. Interesting. And I know, and one of the ones, we're actually working with Relapse. Um, oh, no, no. Well, we are working with Relapse for another label. I'm kind of mixing up some labels, but um, we're buying a record for, I think, December that I can't really <laughs> talk about yet. But <laughs> um, but we're buying a post-rock record from December that's more like post-metal, you know, that's going to be more like like sludgy, you know, and that's been yeah. really cool. And and so far, all of our, describe, our subscribers for that one in particular, which can be pretty broad, mm. have been like, yes, you know, they're so excited about getting different kinds of um, genres. So, so and it's weird and, um, because some genres, 
the listeners get very inclusive. They get very like mm-hmm. got touchy, like especially um, uh, it's somewhat in punk, but metal oh, was definitely that in punk. Metal was definitely in metal. Yes, um, metal more so, I think. But um, you know, jazz. You know, there's there are a lot <laughs> of people get very protective, and you know, if they hear you. I can remember being a kid, and, you know, I grew up with metal and punk, and I, I remember, I listened to all kinds of music, but I was often criticized by, you know, others, like, you're not a true this, or you're not a true that, I can, mm-hmm. very odd, so I could see um, it being a challenge, and you addressed it early on, but you said you've had no problems with it, and that's good. Um, yeah, and, and I've been excited, too, um, I, I feel like part of that excitement is because our subscribers have been like, I don't know, like they've become people who are really excited to get the next thing. Now, the only other, the only problem we've probably have run into is when, um, someone is a pretty diehard collector and already has the record. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but, but those are, those are kind of easy fixes too, because we have, you know, we can offer them something else as a replacement and all that. But, but the, you know, I, I agree with you because, you know, like I said, I grew up kind of in a punk world. And, yeah. um, you know, if I listened to a certain band, they'd be like, that's not punk. What are you listening to? And, <laughs> and I was like, well, it's kind of it's kind of rock music. Still. Know, like, you know, um, and I was also, you know, um, I was also in a ska band, you know, and yeah. so I really like I really like reggae and ska and stuff like that. And uh, of course, like, you know, in the late 90s, when it got very popular, it was not oh. you were not allowed to like that stuff either. So. That's yeah, what I always I, hated I about uh, music to me is supposed to be, you know, the love of music. I hated being, you know, I, I can't just listen to one genre. I liked, uh, mm-hmm. you know, venturing out. Um, but yeah, usually I stick to my, I, I have my moods where I want to stay within a genre. Um, mm-hmm. So I could see how, you know, if you're into a certain genre right now and you pick noise rock, I could see that ver- be very um, satisfying because, yeah. you know, each yep. year you do go through kind of phases, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, plus I notice you also say you could expect to get a few goodies from these record labels. What are these goodies? What do you... So, for the most part, um, they've been just stickers or samplers. like That's cool. These, uh, CD samplers. Yeah. I mean, and to me, you know, like part of the reason that we part of the pitch to the record label is like, you know, we, we have a modest subscriber base, but part of the appeal is like, Hey, here's your chance to sell, you know, sell uh, X amount of people on your record label. They might not have even known who you were, you know, or they probably, maybe they do know who you are, but they've never given your music a shot or maybe they've given your music a shot, but they don't know all the other awesome labels that you have or awesome bands and records that you've put out too. So like, give us, give us everything that you think, would help them become lifelong fans of your label. And so um, some of the coolest things that we've been able to hand out have been like, like um, one of our labels gave us winter hats that mm-hmm. we sent out. Oh. Um, and another one gave, um, um, another one gave out uh, flip mats. Yeah. So that's always so that's cool. That's been kind of fun. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the, the other cool thing that we do, um, we don't publicize it because it ends up being sort of a, a nice little surprise, but we give out, um, a special extra bonus record for um, subscribers on their birthday month. That's very um, cool. Yeah, and they're not. You know, we don't. We don't even really 
we don't advertise what those records are. Um, they just end up popping into their, you know, package that week or that month and with a little birthday note. And they're usually really cool records too. They're like, they're, you know, um, for our post-rock one, for example, it's a band that kind of helped construct that post-rock sound, you know, and mm -hmm. for, um, for our pop punk one, um, it was a band that was we knew was just getting signed to a, a kind of a, a larger label, and that they would get a lot more exposure. So here's here's a, their you know first EP before it um, before this band gets out there a little bit bigger, you know, sure. like that kind of stuff. It's exciting to discover new bands for a lot of listeners. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, I could also see you going uh, into like uh, another genre that's that's big, like prog. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Prog is the same way where um, people are very passionate um, about a genre. Um, so, yeah, there are definitely a lot of, as years go by, you can definitely uh, gather more um, yeah, genres. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the fun. Is at a certain point, like, I know my area of expertise yeah. is going to, you know, only get me so far. So I'm going to bring sure. in friends. I'm going to bring in other experts. Yeah. And I've even kicked around the idea of, like, you know, asking someone else who's, like, you know, out there and an expert who runs a website or, who yeah. you know, who who's a journalist or somebody or even just, like, another musician, like, be a special, you know, like, uh, like we'll do a special package sure. curated by yeah. some of these people. Hey, man, you could always ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I will seriously consider it, you know? <laughs> hey, um, one thing always with, you know, vinyl is the shipping aspect. And mm -hmm. um, that, could be, that could be complicated. Um, the way you pack it, um, if you... Um, I know some uh, services don't include insurance, some do, some only mm -hmm. ship in the U S and not, uh, not even Canada. Um, but right. I can understand all that because I've, I've, uh, bought vinyl and, you know, sold it or et cetera, uh, being mm -hmm. a collector. Now you, you are in the U S shipping only in the U S right. Correct. Not, not Canada or overseas. Well, so we technically recently opened up to internationally like oh, about six months ago oh. yeah now uh, of course there's that huge enormous asterisk that goes along with it which <laughs> is, it's extremely expensive i mean there's just no yes. way around it but we did have a lot of people asking us do you ship international and we had to keep telling them no um yeah. but there it's it, you know if if there is hypothetically a buyer in europe who's willing to cough up an extra hundred because they're going to be able to get records that typically don't come to Europe. Right. You know, like, I mean, actually it's, I think it's, it probably is another extra hundred dollars, you know, for, for the whole year's worth of shipping, something ridiculous like that. Um, or it might even be more, you know, I'll have to well, go hey back man, and look. I know it, Canada is, yeah. is just, just Canada is enormously. I've expensive. got it where I, when I sold some of my collection, I had um, both punk and metal, uh, that mm -hmm. I was selling off huge in South America, Europe. I was yeah, getting more yeah. interest from those areas than the U.S. itself. Um, it's so, true, and and our and my record label, you know, my my um, when we put up pre-orders, yeah. we end up getting a lot of orders like in in Europe, in Germany, yeah, and in uh, yeah, in Great Britain and stuff like that. It's it's kind of interesting to see like that that things like vinyl is way more international. Yes. And it seems it just it just sort of stinks that it's so limiting in the shipping, yes. you know. Oh, I, I I hear you. I I um 
I've I've never had a problem, but I hear from other uh, sellers and buyers about getting into the um, whether it's packed correctly or whether mm-hmm. you know it's uh, insured or this and that. So I I hear all these uh, you know problems, and it, and it can can be be complex when especially when you get into shipping internationally. But right, uh, you said you you kind of limit it. You have to, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I wish you all the luck, man. Thank you for the interview, and it's uh, table dash turn dot com, and I, rec- I recommend uh, my readers for Goldmine to check it out. And I, I'm anxious to see. Um, I, I might I might join myself to the noise rock one. So oh, sweet, that'd be so <laughs> awesome, dude. And you know, um, I hope that we keep in touch. You know, like yes. if, if if you do become a subscriber, let's get on the phone again and talk a little bit about what you've received and what you've dug and what you have. I, I would love to. I would love to. Yeah, that would yeah. be awesome, man. Well, thanks, man. Uh, thanks for mu- so much for doing doing the interview, of the podcast. Thanks, Dane. Okay, thank you, Dane Urbach of Table Turned dot com, a new vinyl subscription service. Check it out. Well, thank you, listeners. It's been fun, and we'll see you next time. Don't forget to go to goldminemag.com for exclusive content. Also, pick up the issue, Jimi Hendrix on the cover. It's there, November. It'll be at Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, and select record stores. Thanks for listening. Bye now.